You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond. This is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up, Snap plunges. In fact, by the most in a year after earnings disappointed in the company, cites a challenging operating environment for the full year. We've got all the coverage ahead. Plus, Tesla staff bracing for layoffs as managers are asked binary questions on whether their employees' roles are critical. Details ahead. And Uber earnings, well, they're showing robust demand for rides and delivery as gross bookings surpass estimates. I'm going to be sitting down with the Uber CEO, Dara Koswashahi. A story I reported this morning with Bloomberg's Dana Hole. Tesla has cancelled or postponed performance reviews this week and it said to managers, look at everyone that works under you and tell us who is critical. And now there's a big worry, I'm told, from sources internally that big layoffs are coming. And when we broke the story, there was a big spike higher in pre-market. You can see we've kind of traded choppy throughout the session. But broadly, that's positive to investors, right? Tesla's talked about looking at costs. They've done this before using performance reviews as a way of pulling back in certain areas. We'll bring you the full data uh, and details we've done a whole later in the show. Back to the earnings side of this story. And they're mixed fortunes, depending on who you are. Uber's like slightly higher, two tenths of one percent. Strong earnings, strong outlook. It's a story about an app that is more diverse than its peers. New products are helping on the mobility side. And as you know, we're going to talk to the CEO, Dara Khosrowshahi, later in the program. Snap is the opposite, down 34 percent. Biggest drop since October 2022. Top line growth of five percent, missed estimates. But on the bottom line, what was with all those job cuts and cost savings if you're still on an adjusted EBIT basis saying you're losing 55 to 95 million dollars. There was growth in core Western markets, but those emerging markets that Snap's been so focused on, the growth is nowhere to be seen. So let's dive in deeper into Snap's earnings with Jasmine Emberg, Principal Analyst at Insider Intelligence, where she leads coverage of social media and the creator economy. Your reaction to this Snap print? 
Look, investors are obviously unhappy, they're frustrated, they're losing confidence, and that makes sense, especially in the context of Meta's blowout earnings just last week. But if you take out that context, it really wasn't all that terrible of a quarter for Snap by its standards. Its Q4 revenue growth did come in at the higher end of its internal guidance, and its revenue growth for the full year was just about flat and what we were pretty much expecting here at Insider Intelligence. The problem for Snap, though, is that context is key and investors are inevitably going to compare it to Meta. And what Snap is showing is that it just can't keep up pace with the big tech titans. Meta, Amazon as well, showing such ad improvements. Is enough being done by Evan Spiegel to turn around the ads in particular and basically prove themselves? Look, one of the things that's really working against Snap in all of this is its lack of scale in comparison to its rivals. Now, of course, Evan Spiegel said he is going to continue to try and grow the user base, but because of its small size, it is currently a less essential player for advertisers, which of course impacts ad demand, but it also makes it more challenging for it to be able to revamp its systems. It has less data and less signal uh, to be able to work with in order to do this. When you basically have daily active users of 414 million, monthly active 800 million, do you just have to recategorize what Snap is and just be like, look, this is a nice, healthy company that's going to be boosting overall its, its earnings and its revenue, but just not at a pace in any way comparison with the major players? Yeah, look, we're in this environment where we're seeing the bigger players get bigger and the smaller players like Snap continue to struggle. Snap is never going to be a Facebook. It's never going to be an Instagram. But with that many users, there are a lot of people who really love the platform. I think one of the big problems, and we've talked about it here on the show before, is that its primary use case is still messaging. Now, we heard again, of course, that there is growth and more of its public-facing social media-like features, but really most people who are using it on a regular basis are, are doing so to message. One of the things that, you know, is really interesting is that all of this is also coming at a time where Snap is repositioning itself as this anti-social media platform. And that makes sense in terms of all of the problems with social media, especially considering the testimony um, in Congress right. last week. Um, but it's not really going to help its business. Uh, but like everyone else, Jasmine, real quick, they're saying that the conflict in the Middle East is impacting their ad business. What do you make of that? It certainly was a headwind for Snap's ad business. I do think, though, that that's emblematic of some of the large, larger, long-standing fundamental challenges that Snap has. Its direct response ad platform, of course, is not as sophisticated. It's still making improvements on that. And if brand advertisers that are spending really heavily, especially in Q4 on Snap, brands, of course, are more risk-averse. They're more likely to pull or pause their spend, uh, spending in times of conflict or crises. And without that direct response, Ad advertising platform and ad dollars to make up for that, it's probably more noticeable in, in Snap's earnings. And then again, there's the small size. When advertisers are thinking about where to you know, cut spending, it's the smaller players they're going to go to first. Yeah. Jasmine Enberg, it's always great to have your analysis across the show. Principal analyst and insider intelligence. Uber out with the results reporting gross bookings that beat estimates showing strong global demand for rides and food delivery during the holiday period. Joining us now, 
Bloomberg's Emily Chang and Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi for more on the strong numbers. Em, Ed, thank you. Dara, thank you as always for joining us. Look, it was a beat across the board, but the stock is down this morning. You know, now that times are good, we saw trip growth really accelerated. Will that keep up and how? Well, our trip growth was super strong, right? We grew trips 24% uh, on a year-on-year -year basis on a base of 2.6 billion trips. So, uh, you know, as you get larger, it gets tougher to have that kind of growth. But if you look at our gross bookings guidance going forward, uh, it's between 18 and 23%. So we do expect to continue to grow at very, very strong rates, uh, while at the same time continuing to increase profitability and margins, which is the best of both worlds, which is what investors expect of us. And frankly, it's what we know Uber can deliver. Well, shares just turned positive, so investors are liking what you're saying. Let's talk about the other half of the business, and that is delivery. Uh, you had to raise some fees in some markets. You added multi-store ordering. What more can you do in delivery to keep this up? Well, there, there's a ton going on in delivery. There's obviously the core online food delivery business. Overall delivery grew 17% on a year-on-year -year basis, and it's actually accelerating, uh, Emily, right? So uh, it's accelerating versus Q2 versus Q3, and it is about getting the basics right. The first thing is customers want choice. We now have almost a million restaurants on our site on a global basis, up about 10%, but they also want reliability. So when we measure the number of orders that we get wrong, the, the number of orders we get wrong are down 25% on a year-on-year -year basis. So the business is reliable. You get what you expect as well. And what that's resulting in is our audience is growing, frequency is growing as well. And then as as eaters order more and more in a basket, actually basket size is growing. So the growth that we see in eats is very, very broad. We're adding to it grocery, which is a segment that we're very uh, excited about. You know, the grocery business is actually bigger than the online food business, than the food business um, in terms of total uh, uh, size. Our grocery business is still pretty young. It's about $7 billion now run rate, growing over 40%, and we're very excited to introduce the grocery experience to all of our eaters out there. Caroline just pointed out your stock just hit a new record high. Uh, I got to talk about the Super Bowl commercials. I'm obsessed. You've got Ross and Rachel. You've got the Beckhams. Um, these big stars cost money, though, and you had a lot of celebrities last year, too. So is this marketing spend paying off, and are you sure? Because next year I'm expecting Taylor Swift. <laughs> well, uh, you, you see it by the results. You, uh, you know, these big stars, they cost a lot, but they deliver a lot, right? Um, and who's better than the Beckhams uh, and Jennifer uh, Aniston as well? You know, the amazing thing about these stars is, uh, you know, they're not afraid of making a little fun of themselves and having a sense of humor, but they also use their own social platforms to amplify the message out there. So it's not just about the commercial. It's about people talking about the commercials. It's about the stars using their Instagram accounts to amplify uh, the platform, et cetera. That's why it's working out for us. Uh, and we think it's, uh, it's worth the investment and then more. And Dara, many times these are global celebrities. You yes. in a global company, even if the Super Bowl is a little bit more US focused. How much are you seeing growth, particularly Latin America, Asia stand out? Are there any areas that you're worried about? 
Well, right now, fortunately, we're seeing growth uh, across the globe. Um, for us in mobility, Latin America and Asia Pacific have really been standouts. Uh, the LATAM business is growing, the base business is growing, but now in LATAM what you're seeing is more two-wheelers actually. It's a product we call Ubermoto. It's lower cost and much more affordable. And so if you want a low cost ride in a Brazil or Mexico, we're seeing more and more users uh, take two-wheelers. And in Asia, we're very, very excited about the India market. Um, the India market has been one that that uh, has, has always held a lot of promise, but we're seeing that promise come to fruition now. There, it's not just four-wheelers, but it's three-wheelers. And the growth rates uh, that we're seeing in India are substantial. And we think that, you know, that business can continue to grow over the next five to 10 years. So there's a lot of growth and excitement ahead uh, in many of the markets out there. A global conversation with our global TV and radio audience. We are, of course, speaking with Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi. And Dara, I hate to be the Debbie Downer that focuses on the one area of perhaps lackluster performance, but freight, tell us a little bit about, it was in line with where the market wanted to see it, but it is still a bit of a drag. When do you see the turnaround? Well, the freight business is a cyclical business, uh, and what we are seeing is at least a stabilization of the overall freight industry. There was too much supply out there. Demand wasn't growing. We're seeing a stabilization in rates. We're seeing spot rates improve as well. So I think that's an early signal that the freight marketplace is going to improve. And what's really cool about Uber Freight is that we are using our marketplace technology, matching, pricing, et cetera, and bringing it to the freight industry. So we're very confident that a turn is coming. We don't know what, when, but we're definitely seeing signal of that turn. And we can bring our technology prowess and the service levels uh, that other players who are just offline really, we believe, can't match. So we're quite optimistic about freight, but it's a little bit of a waiting game to see that cycle turn. And we're hoping to uh, see that cycle turn this year. Dara, good morning. Uh, I think we kind of learned a lot about Uber, the technology company, in the course of just gone. New products and, and just more diverse offering on mobility. But there are lots of questions about, well, what is the new product pipeline going forward? You know, how can you keep adding functionality to the platform that is new, opens new addressable markets? Car rentals, interesting, right? Because that's an industry Definitely. that's suffering some pain. Yeah. Well, I think it's car rentals is one area that we're pretty excited about. And, and what we try to do with Uber is we don't want to just build the same thing that others have built, but let's say a little bit better. We really try to reinvent how you think about a particular product. So one product that we're pretty excited about with car rentals is actually what we call Uber Valet. And in with this product, you know, you push a button, you get to pick your car, but then an Uber driver will come and drop off that car for you in front of your house or wherever you want that uh, car dropped off. So we want to bring that little Uber delight in whatever experiences that we build so that we're heads and shoulders above our competition, so to speak. Now, we do it in partnership with car rental companies, so it's good business for them, but it's the magic of Uber that we want to introduce in every single innovation out there, and we think there's plenty of innovation ahead for us. You know, I'm somebody that, that takes rideshare. There are other rideshare platforms available to work every morning, but there seems to be some evidence that that corporate ridership's coming back. Where do you see that most? 
Yeah, corporate has actually been uh, a great signal for us uh, early this year. Last year, if you looked at corporate, and we have a very significant corporate presence in what we call Uber for Business, and it allows companies, instead of you know black cars, et cetera, they can use Uber. It's connected into uh, the corporate expense systems, et cetera. Um, there's an area of safety, which is you know exactly where your employees are. So it's been a very, very popular offering for us. And last year... You know, as corporates were more careful in terms of their spending, travel, et cetera, the spending with U4B was muted. We are now seeing, especially in Q4 and so far in the first quarter, companies are starting to lean in again. They're starting to invest. They're getting their employees out to go out and meet customers face-to-face, and that absolutely is helping our U4B business that's starting to accelerate. Uh, it's high margin business, usually with u for b you know, you take a comfort car or a black car, uh, so it's high margin business as well, and we're very, very happy with the signal that we're seeing. And that signal is pretty broad. It's not just the U.S. Uh, uh, phenomenon. We're seeing companies around the globe starting to invest again, which we think is a great sign. I want to talk about EVs because there's, you know, reports consumer demand is falling. You're seeing big automakers pulling back. Your own rental partner, Hertz, also putting back, pulling back. How much is this hurting your partnership, your push to zero emissions, and everything you're doing to try to incentivize drivers to switch over? Well, Emily, we're continuing to push on the EV space. Um, no one said this was going to be easy. And, and listen, with every technology, there's this initial excitement and everyone gets on board and maybe uh, maybe people overestimate the potential of a business or how, how it is going to be. You know, we've been around at Uber for a while and we actually love solving tough problems. So we continue to lean in with EVs. We now have over 120,000 uh, drivers driving EVs all over the world. Uh, over the past years, we completed more than 300 million trips uh, in terms of, of EVs. So we continue to lean in. I think a real concern is with, uh, with charging infrastructure and making sure that that charging infrastructure is available and ready, especially where our drivers need it. May not be in the center of the city, but it may be in the towns that they live. Uh, et cetera. So if the charging infrastructure comes uh, comes in, we think we have the partnerships in place. We're putting real money, $900 million, behind our push to EVs, including uh, subsidizing rides. So drivers actually make more on an EV trip. So we're determined, uh, and we think we're going to keep pushing the momentum in this space. Um, you're shutting down Drizzly. You're laying off 150 people. What happened there? Uh, did alcohol sales just decline post-pandemic? Don't you know there's a Super Bowl coming up? <laughs> so it's, um, you know, listen, it was a tough decision there. And what we have observed is that the Uber Eats platform, we talk about the power of the platform, which is, you know, you ride on Uber, you eat on Uber, you get groceries on Uber, you order your al- alcohol on, on Uber Eats. The power of that platform is really significant. And, you know, things have changed where companies have to be more disciplined in their investments. And when we look at a marketing investment, should we put the next marketing dollar behind Uber Eats, i.e. a Super Bowl commercial, or should we put that next marketing dollar to introduce the Drizzly brand to consumers? It didn't make sense to keep investing in Drizzly. So we've taken a lot of what we've learned uh, from Drizzly, many of the merchant relationships, et cetera. Um, But 
essentially that business is shutting down in terms of that organic drizzly business. And we are building on alcohol within Uber Eats. We think that's the next best investment going forward for us as a company. Cost discipline. Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi, a joy to have you on the show. Thank you. And of course, our thanks to you, Emily Chang. Now coming up, the head of ByteDance's China operations stepping down. More news coming out of China more broadly. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop. Customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Time now for Talking Tech. First up, TSMC, the world's biggest chip contract manufacturer and supplier to the likes of Apple and NVIDIA, just saw January sales rise after strong demand for AI chips, and it helped offset the continued weakness in consumer electronics products. Now, revenue rose almost 8% last month, $6.9 billion. The growth is the latest sign that a sector rebound could be on the horizon. Meanwhile, the head of ByteDance's China operations is stepping down just a week after the CEO, Liang Rubo, said that the company needs to, to avoid complacency and make up lost ground in the AI race. According to sources, ByteDance will not seek to appoint a successor and Zhang will shift her focus to the video editing app CapCut. And then Alibaba reported lower-than-expected sales weighed down by a weaker performance at its core domestic e-commerce business. And the company also approved, though, an increase of $25 billion to its share repurchase program. And, of course, this is desperately trying to, Ed, sort of build up investor confidence. When they can't do it with right. the proof in the pudding of revenue increases that the market wanted to see, they therefore have some of the big executives buying shares and also a big buyback to announce. 
Yeah, I always think about Alibaba as the nearest thing to Amazon in China, right? It has a similar story, e-commerce and cloud. The cloud's not growing, and they're doing all they can to kind of sweeten things for investors, the Divi or whatever, buybacks, whatever, and the, the prospect of spinning off other units. But it just comes back to the core business in China's economy. And isn't it just what you're hearing from ByteDance trying to not have complacency, focusing in on particularly AI as well? That's exactly where Alibaba perhaps has been falling behind. They've had issues, of course, getting NVIDIA products as well. And this while they're also trying to fend off deep competition abroad and internally of e-commerce. I mean, they don't look like they're going to sacrifice profitability, though. That's one key analyst takeaway. Yeah, and one of the cool things about ADRs or US listed shares is it gives different market exposures to that name, which is kind of interesting. Uh, much more to talk about. Quick check in on the markets and earnings is kind of the big story. But NASDAQ 100 at the index level, higher a percentage point. I look at Tesla, it's now continuing to push higher. Later in the show, Bloomberg's Dan a hole on set to explain the story we reported this morning that managers are being asked to look at their staff and tell com the company who is critical and who is not. The idea, layoffs might be coming. Roblox moving to the upside 8%, astonishing. Record revenue in the quarter. And what they said is that every single day in the quarter gone, 71.5 million people logged on to play through Roblox, which is a pretty astonishing performance for that platform. It is one of the big video games movers uh, in, in the moment right now. Uh, and then the other name is kind of Kindrel that we're looking at. I always find Kindrel very interesting. Remember, we kind of introduced this name to you at the time of its listing at the end of last year. Year. We're up 2%. Uh, most biggest gain in around three months at one point in the session when it was up 6.2%. It's a sales beat. And there is look at the performance gone and the outlook, Caro, and the street likes what it sees. It does. And we can speak to Kendrell's CEO now, Martin Schroeder, about how after your spun off from IBM in 2021, the focus has been on getting rid of zero margin or low profitability deals, re-anchoring the way the business is going. And yeah, it means revenue might be lower for a bit, but we've still got a loss. But this seems to be progress. Talk us through whether it's turning around at the pace you want. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to, to talk a little bit about our quarter. Look, we had another great quarter, which continues now uh, our string of strong execution as we execute, as you said well, Caroline, this plan to remove content that really had no or, or even negative margins in many instances. So, so while we're engineering the decline uh, in revenues, at the same time, we are focused on growth. And in the quarter, again, we saw good growth uh, in our Kindrel Consult business, which was up 14% in the quarter and now 14% for the year as well. And we continue to see great growth in our signings and our revenue that we're delivering uh, with our hyperscaler partners. So, so where we're focused on growth, it's going well, and where we're focused on engineering the decline, you know, we're, we'll, we'll be through most of that uh, at the end of this fiscal year, which for us is, ends in March. So it is moving at a very fast pace pace and the reason it moves so fast is because our customers really do rely on us for uh, for the help they need in these secular trends that they are either represent opportunities or represent risks to them and that's where we sit in the heart of their mission critical workloads you just announced that you're of course building that partnership with hyperscalers like Google Cloud and I'm interested as to ultimately where your clients want the most hand-holding at the moment you've said in the past there's no recession in cybersecurity evidently with macro headwinds as they are, how much are companies willing to purchase your expertise when it comes to AI, for example? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And, and look, remember where we sit in, in what we do for our clients, we sit at the heart of mission critical. So much of our consulting is also around mission critical. And so while our, our customers are looking for help in the newer things like Gen AI, and we're certainly getting a lot of uh, a lot of activity with our customer base to help them architect their data and to help them think through resiliency as they move into that AI world. At the same time, you know, there are some really basic security things that our customers need help with. And so our consulting business is really driven by the same, the nature, uh, the same nature of the work that we do in Mission Critical. And obviously AI and Gen AI represent a really good long-term secular trend as they start to, as they start to try to figure out how do they reach their customers. But this work is not but, uh, is not again solely in these new areas. The work is is still uh, primarily in, in the mission the, the mission critical nature of what we do for for them on a run basis. Uh, Martin, let's uh, let's think about that in the context of a case study that you outlined on your call. Partnership with an unnamed global automaker, and you basically I'm paraphrasing, but you basically said this isn't just about IT. We're helping this particular company in the manufacturing context. So I just wondered if you'd explain how that works in practice. Sure, sure. So when you think about the complexity that every auto manufacturer is dealing with uh, across their supply chain and how you bring all of that together, you can imagine the, the complexity of the IT infrastructure that has to bring that together, including where is the data, is it secure, can these systems run at the, at the level of resiliency? Because once you introduce new complexity, obviously that, that has an impact or could have an impact on it, their resiliency, and these lines can't shut down. So the coordination of their very complex supply chains have to run on highly resilient, highly secure uh, infrastructure. And as they go look, as auto manufacturers and every, all of our customers go look for new innovations to help them do what they do, that just makes the whole infrastructure yes. even more complex. And so they need Kindrel. Um, Martin, you spent a lot of time on the call talking about cost savings, discipline, the work you've done. Um, you know, we, I reflect back to the conversation we've had before that in March of last year, you trimmed a small percentage of a really big workforce, um, 90,000 people at that time. How do you see that playing out this year? Caroline and I have been covering, unfortunately, layoffs across the, the technology sector on an almost daily basis at the moment. Yeah, look, for us, you know, we were born uh, with 80-plus thousand employees over two years ago. We did peak up a little bit, and when last we spoke, it was about 90, and we're still in the 80s. And the reason we're still in the 80s is because our, our focus on delivery and what we call our advanced delivery efforts has led to tremendous quality improvements for our customers so they're seeing it but at the same time it allows us to free up people and move them into these new areas so that we are uh, actively reskilling our employees and moving them into being cloud experts for instance moving them into being cybersecurity experts etc so we were when we were born a bit over 2 years ago we had fewer than a thousand credentialed uh, People across the entire uh, employee base, fewer than a thousand, who were uh, who were uh, certified and credentialed on a hyperscaler. We now have over thirty-five thousand, and that's the that's what's driving the growth. For instance, with our hyperscaler partners, that's what's driving the growth with our consult business as well. We have the people, the best engineering talent, who know these customers so well. 
well. So our customers are delighted that yes, they're getting better quality because we're using our AI through our platforms, but they're also getting back the same people they trust and have known for years to help them in these new areas. It's a, it's a really terrific model for us. Kendrell CEO, Martin Schroeder, great to catch up here on Bloomberg Technology. Thanks for your time. Now, coming up on the show, could Tesla be the next company to undergo a wave of layoffs? We have Bloomberg's Dana Hall here in studio, an important report that we put out this morning. That's next. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop. Customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Tesla staff are bracing for potential job cuts after managers were asked to affirm whether each of their employees that worked under them is in a position that is critical. I want to bring in Bloomberg's Dana Hall, who reported this with me this morning. So what we kind of heard from sources is it's performance review week and managers are saying or being asked to look at everyone that works or reports into them and decide, I guess, who stays and who goes. Well, that's that's the fear. I mean, we don't know that for sure. But what what we've heard, I mean, I think you and I have heard from different people is that um, performance evaluations happened. And then what I heard was that they were reopened. And there was one new question. Is this employee's role critical? And that's like, basically, you need to just and then the managers need to justify that job. So that is definitely worrying. You know, Tesla so far has avoided the layoffs out of Rock Silicon Valley. We don't know whether this is sort of a culling based on performance or whether widespread layoffs are in the, in the offering. What I would reflect on is that this is kind of normal, both in the sense that Tesla's looking for cost savings everywhere, 
but it's kind of played out in the past. And I know that, that I've heard from sources, like, for example, when we reported on the autopilot trims last year, that headcount was moved elsewhere to, like, batteries, for example. Um, what, what is the aim here from Elon Musk and co, do you think? Well, I think that you know, Tesla is still aggressively hiring in a lot of areas. If you look at their website, they have tons of openings for Optimus, for Dojo, for Megapack, um, for you know, payment systems. I mean, there's a lot of job openings at Tesla, so they are still aggressively hiring. So this could be an effort to just kind of reduce headcount in some places where they feel like it's no longer necessary so that they can afford to hire elsewhere. And Anna, like, say, a Goldman Sachs, they're trying to put forward the idea that you'll constantly be reviewed. If you're underperforming, you might well be let go. And I guess this is a way of ascertaining whether you are or not. And I just wonder how it speaks, though, to the fact that we are seeing such pressure on Tesla from an EV demand perspective. Will it automatically be in the manufacturing areas that you think these jobs ultimately have to be sacrificed? It's hard to say where the cuts, if they happen, would be. I mean, but I think that you're right. Like Tesla regularly, you know, they go through a performance review cycle every six months. And, you know, in Silicon Valley, it's called stack ranking or ranking yank, to be coarse about it. And I think that just this just really keeps everybody on their toes. You always want to be a high performer. Uh, there's always concern if, you, if you're needing to justify staff. Um, I mean, I think that Tesla has grown dramatically since 2020 during the pandemic. They now have over 140,000 employees globally and they will continue to hire in the areas of the company that Elon Musk really wants to sort of staff up but like any company you know when you're kind of facing a down year in terms of growth you start cutting and salaries is the way to do that and Musk talked about the rate environment again when we played our earnings bingo which I thoroughly enjoyed that I always find that astonishing 140,000 people if there's a big bright spot it's probably the energy business because what they said was it will just outpace the the car business in terms of growth. What else do we know about what's going on with energy? Yeah, so Tesla has this big factory in Lathrop, which is here in California. It's sort of a little bit outside of the Bay Area in what we call the Central Valley, and that is where they are building the megapacks. We also have heard that they are expanding megapack production in Shanghai. And these are the big batteries that Tesla sells to utilities like PG&E, and it is a huge growth driver for the energy business. Like, forget about the solar roof. Megapack is the, is the big driver of the growth there. Dana Hall, always a joy. Great reporting from you both on this key story. We thank you so much. But let's for a moment now turn to another one of Musk's companies, X. Now, this is after Tucker Carlson has announced on the social media platform that he has interviewed Russia's leader, Vladimir Putin. He also gave a shout-out to Elon Musk, who he says is going to allow the full interview to be published on X. Let's bring in Bloomberg's Kurt Wagner for more on this. The context being that here's the first U.S. journalist to do a significant sit-down since war erupted back in 2022. Mm -hmm. And notably, Putin has fought back against critical journalism in particular and, in fact, has a key Wall Street Journal reporter incarcerated at the moment. Now, give us the context of what this makes advertisers feel like. Yeah, well, obviously there are a lot of advertisers who would be very, you know, reluctant to see their brand show up anywhere near this interview, right? But I also think that a lot of advertisers who are uncomfortable with that are probably no longer on X. Uh, I think a lot of the people who are still spending money on X have pretty thick skin when it comes to uh, what they expect or, or imagine that their marketing is going to appear next to, right? And so I'm not sure that we're necessarily going to see a new wave of people rushing in the other direction, mostly because a lot of those people are already on. And this speaks, of course, to the ultimate aim that we've always been told from Elon Musk about X is for 
for freedom of speech in all its entireties. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about how ultimately the deals with the likes of Tucker Carlson are going, getting on very people who attract a big crowd to come and ultimately have shows on the platform. Yeah, you know, I was really interested in this um, about a month ago, right after CES, when X announced that they were going to be doing, you know, these new shows. Don Lemon, of course, was another one uh, who they were going to bring on. And, uh, you know, I spoke to four media agencies, um, you know, after the announcement was made, and all of them basically said the same thing, that these shows aren't really going to move the needle. Now, if you're a big brand looking to spend money on X, it might be nice to have sort of a, a something that at least is professionally produced that you can you know run your video ad next to but until x gets you know a much larger collection of these types of shows with much more uh, and less controversial hosts quite frankly i'm not sure that this is the kind of thing that's going to draw advertisers back um, and again i don't think they're running the other way uh, because those folks are already gone but I don't think this is necessarily big enough that, that it's going to you know, lure people back who have uh, been reluctant to spend money on X to begin with. There's a lot happening in the social media space in real yeah. time. Kurt, you reported that Jack Dorsey's Blue Sky, the decentralized social media platform, is now opened up to everyone. Uh, why is that significant? Well, Blue Sky, as you both probably know, has emerged as sort of one of the main alternatives to X ever since Elon Musk took over. And, you know, there's a bunch of technical reasons that people are excited about it. You know, this decentralized element um, is, is idealistic, I think. Um, but for the most part, this is simply a place where people who used to love Twitter um, but no longer feel you know, comfortable using X have been going. And so the fact that they're sort of opening this up to everybody, you know, perhaps that will kind of uh, expedite the growth of Blue Sky. Um, but, you know, again, we're looking at threads. We're looking at Blue Sky. You might even remember Mastodon. Um, these were, you know, essentially X alternatives. And so it's just always interesting to keep tabs on what they're doing and whether or not they're still growing um, and capturing people who are running away from X. Uh, your, your book on X is imminent. Or your book on Twitter. Yes. I mean, I, I, Twitter, I, I that's sympathize right. with you. So much has changed in real time. We were, we were teasing Jason Stryer the other day about how he had to rewrite the last graph of his book based on what happened yep. with Blizzard. But, but you, something you just said, Blue Sky is the alternative to X. Where do you think X sits in the landscape right now? Meta, uh, Facebook, Snap, Instagram Reels, things like that. Sure. You know, I, I still feel like it's a, a good place to go for certain types of news, right? I'm a big sports fan. I still think that X is probably the best place to go when you want to figure out, hey, what's going on with my favorite team? What's going on in the NFL playoffs? Um, but there's a bunch of other categories of news that I think that X used to sort of be the go-to place for where it's no longer that or it's certainly not as reliable as it used to be. And I think there's a bunch of reasons for that. The, the most notable probably being the change in verification, right, and sort of eliminating um, this ability to quickly identify who legitimate journalists are versus folks who might, uh, you know, not be doing that professionally. And, and to me, I think that's hurt the company when it comes to news. Um, but obviously Elon would disagree. And, and, you know, for that reason, I feel like X has sort of fallen out of uh, the, the position that it had over news, um, over, you know, Instagram, Facebook and others uh, a few years ago. All right, Bloomberg's Kurt Wagner and everything on the social media beat. We thank you very much. 
viral. Leo Messi is in seemingly the hot seat after taking part in a football match, or soccer as we call it, in Japan, just days after not appearing at a match in Hong Kong. Now, Hong Kong sports lawmaker Kenneth Fox comments accused Messi and the US club into Miami of disrespecting fans. And that was trending on Weibo, along with another popular topic partly entitled Messi's Mess. Ed. It's an astonishing situation Messi finds himself in. Let's stick with sports and bring in U.S. media analyst for Bloomberg Intelligent, Gita Ranganathan, to unpack what was an interesting deal last night. ESPN, Fox and Warner Brothers joining forces and they're going to launch what is a sports-focused streaming service. What do you make of that, Gita? I mean, that is, that's a move. It definitely is a bold move, I think, Ed, by these big media companies to kind of really, in many ways, uh, you, you know, control their own future, right? Kind of control the des their own destiny as, the, as we kind of move to the streaming world. Because, you know, we always know that they've been in charge of content production, but this kind of really gives them a hold of content distribution as well as more and more people cut the cord. What's so interesting, particularly for Disney, is they say, look, we're still going to go along with our own ESPN offering and app. Whether that's cameralization or not, they just want to be there as much as they can. Also ahead of Nelson Peltz's own white paper, where he wanted basically ESPN to be sold off or partnered with a Netflix. Who loses through this? Is it Netflix, Amazon? Is it, well, the legacy ones that aren't involved? I don't think necessarily Netflix and Amazon will lose through this. I think it's really more a defensive move by the big media companies to make sure that they're actually at the table. We know that big tech has been really, really aggressive when it comes to bidding for all of these sports, right? You look at Amazon with Thursday Night Football. You look at Netflix with that big $5 billion WWE deal. You know, Apple kind of doing things with MLS, MLB. So, you know, obviously big media knows that there are going to be a lot of these sports rights that come up for renewal. Right. And, and we know that NBA and some of these leagues are looking for huge increases. I mean, triple the fees in some of the in some of the cases. So they definitely want to shore up their resources and kind of be at the table. So I, I very much look at this as a defensive move. I don't well, think necessarily that anybody else loses out, the, at least the big tech companies. This is the battle for those that can't remember their passwords, right? It's already hard. I got uh, Paramount Plus for, for Champions League football. I got Peacock for Premier League. I'm watching the FA Cup on ESPN. I, look, there are too many platforms, Gita. It's hard. I don't remember how to log in. You're absolutely right, Ed. I mean, the, we do need a comprehensive bundle. And, and I, mean, I mean, this is going to, we're, we're coming full circle here. I think we are going to go back to some form of, you know, a bundle. I think this is the first step in that, having kind of the skinny sports bundle. Of course, you're right. We don't have Paramount content. We don't have NBC content. We, we don't have so many of the other regional sports networks. So we will need all of that. But I think this is definitely a good first step. Get the guy a one pass, get the guy a last pass. <laughs> That's the way you remember your passwords. We thank you so much, US media analyst, Bloomberg Intelligence, Geetha Ranganathan. Always great to get her expertise. Defensive rather than offensive at the moment. We look ahead, of course, to Disney's earnings a little bit later this week. But that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology, Ed. Uh, by the way, shout out to Stage encryption authentication <laughs> you know I, I i can log in Stay to safe. those places uh <laughs> mega show recap it all on the podcast we're posting to all the places you'd expect apple spotify iheart and of course uh, on the bloomberg platforms as well and we really appreciate all the feedback that karen i've been getting uh, about those of you that, that are taking on the show and the podcast uh, my goodness we're three days in are we to what it's been an incredible week uh, from new york city with caro and san francisco with me this is bloomberg technology 
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.